everyone, and welcome to another episode of I Love This, You Should Too. I am sorry if our voices sound kind of weird. We both have COVID, um, but we're trying to keep up with the podcasting. So I am Samantha. Here with me is my host, Indy Randawa. I'm your host. My host. <laughs> my co-host. And we are members of the Alberta Podcast Network, which is locally grown and community supported so yeah maybe we'll get a little housekeeping out of the way at the beginning this is our first recording in our new let's say studio but it's just our kitchen table in a different kitchen just a new kitchen because we moved finally and soon we'll get a proper space set up yeah but everything's a little delayed because like samantha said we both have covid now yeah i tested positive on christmas day indy's about two days behind me on symptoms and we're just like having a ball yeah so rather than uh, complain about it this whole time, which is very tempting. Oh, it's so tempting. <laughs> we'll just say uh, we're going to do our best to edit out the coughing. If you hear a little bit, you know what? Uh, deal with it. It's a free podcast. <laughs> it's a but, free podcast and we have COVID. <laughs> but uh, maybe another good thing to say is that we both took rapid tests and did not test positive yeah. initially. Samantha uh, quarantined for two days before she tested positive. So if you're rapid testing, that's awesome. But it is not foolproof. Yeah, it does I... not get things right away. And we are both vaccinated, which people out there might be like, if you're vaccinated, why do you have it? No, uh, the reason we are talking to you and still just at home yeah. with flu symptoms and not uh, in a hospital is because we are vaccinated and uh, that's what the vaccine does it does reduce transmission and greatly reduce symptoms and we're both very grateful that we had the opportunity to get that when we did i would much rather be this ill which is like quite ill especially because neither of us have been sick in two years since the pandemic started than be on a ventilator on like life support in a hospital right now so thank Me you too. vaccine scientists you're welcome Oh, oh, nice. <laughs> Very nice. And today's episode is brought to you in part by Park Power. And since winter is definitely here in Edmonton, it's going to be about 49 below today with the wind chill. And people out there who are not from here think like, oh, you're exaggerating for effect. No, literally 49 below Celsius. And uh, so maybe it's good that we're quarantined in this house and not going anywhere because I wouldn't want to leave I'm pretty happy anyway. we don't have to drive anywhere right now. But because of that, and now that we have a home, our energy costs are going to be increasing because we're going to be using things a lot more. And so this is a great time for us and listeners to look at their utility bills and ensure they are on the best plan and Albertans have a choice who they pay their utility bills to, and Park Power is happy to provide free, no-obligations comparisons. If you decide to switch providers, it's easy, and you can feel good knowing that you are supporting a local business and helping give back to our communities with your utility bills, because Park Power actually donates a bunch to different charities and organizations that are local. Some of them are the Altview Foundation, which is for gender variant and sexual minorities, Muscular Dystrophy Canada, the Canadian Parks and Wilderness Society, the Saffron Center, which supports those affected by sexual violence, and some other great organizations. There's a bunch. I didn't even list them all. <laughs> but if you want to find out more information about Park Power, 
and see how you can switch over, you can visit them at parkpower.ca. Well, that's such a great option for Albertans and sounds like a very good way to go if you also care about giving back. And you should. Well, so today, let's uh, get into the actual episode. We are talking about the 2008 Swedish vampire film, Let the Right One In. Oh, and this is the first foreign language film that we did where I didn't do the intro in that language. Oh, yeah. But the Swedes would have been angry at me anyway, because I speak Norwegian, and I would just say it in Norwegian and yeah. be like, yeah, you guys get it, right? And they're like, that's that's Norwegian, it's yeah. different. But, so maybe it's better that I didn't. It's a movie that I saw when it came out way back in 2008, or I might have seen it in 2009, because I think it came out close to the end of the year. Okay. And I really liked it then. I had a certain image in my mind, but I hadn't seen it in such a long time. I told Samantha I love this movie, and she saw it for the first time. So, Sam, I love this movie. Did you? In solid seven. No, it's solid eight out of ten. Eight? So you did mention that eight is love. It's like a low love. But it's love. It's not quite love. So your scale okay, is a little slidey. Seven. <laughs> seven out of ten. I liked it. Yes. I can appreciate it. I yes. thought it was very cool. It... It's not one that I will watch for years to come and love forever. It's true because I think we also have different criteria for movies we love. Mm-hmm. I can say I love a movie. I watch it once every 15 years yeah. and I love that movie. You like to rewatch your loved movies pretty often. Yes. And I'll like throw them on in the background or like whatever because when you know a movie well enough, you can just kind of, you know, fill it in with your imagination. <laughs> Right, and I definitely think this isn't a movie that I do want to rewatch over and over again. I like to watch it every now and then, and it's fine to take years off, but I do, upon this rewatch, agree. I still love this movie. Oh, good. So let's get into things. First, I want some of your takes on it, like what you liked, what you didn't, an overall generalized view. And then I want to talk a little bit about the world this movie creates. Mm-hmm. In this little suburb, I want to talk about how this is or is not a horror movie, the horror elements of it. I'd like to talk a little bit about the childlike view and the differences with adults in this movie. Okay. And I definitely want to get your take on Ili and Oscar and their relationship. And I want to talk about the title and what it means to let the right one in and the nature of kind of like being an outsider because i think that's one of the key themes of this movie mm-hmm. so if you're not familiar with us we are going to do all spoilers from here on out we definitely recommend you go watch this movie it's available on free streaming services like hoopla so you can go check it out so no reason that you wouldn't have uh, had the chance to see it and yeah. if you have the option do not listen to the dubbed oh, version oh it's so terrible we were just doing notes before the podcast and sometimes we like to just rewatch a little bit that dub is terrible it sounds like a completely different movie and it totally ruins it and now i think you kind of realize why even when we have the option for a dub mm-hmm. i always say like no we're gonna do subtitles yeah and it's it's just not the same because oh, somebody acting the part after it's been done just doesn't embody those emotions in the same way because they are not there doing those things. Yeah. You can be a great voice actor, but if you're in a studio removed from it, it's a lot more difficult. And Mm -hmm. oftentimes the people they get to do dubs are also not great voice actors. 
So your first thoughts, you liked it quite a bit. I quite liked it. What do you like about this movie? Um, It was very cool, like, aesthetically. Last Christmas or two Christmases ago. I gave you my heart. The yeah. very next day. <laughs> and gave it away. Man, I'm a jerk. <laughs> um, no, uh, when we watched the um, Rare Exports. Oh, yeah, was which that... is a very good uh, Finnish kind of horror Christmas movie. Yeah, so when we watched Rare Exports, we talked about um, like winter horror and the idea of like this like bleak, lonely kind of horror where like snow is really scary and i'm probably not even saying the right thing right now but it it's very familiar living where we do i guess like yes because like we're literally in our house because we have to be legally but also i don't know that we'd be going out much because it is dangerously cold outside right now very true um so i i definitely think that this movie would hit differently if you were watching it in florida and you didn't really know about snow or yeah. cold or how like but i think it does regardless of your familiarity with it it does kind of invoke a certain starkness mm-hmm. and stillness mm-hmm. which just amplifies the isolation of this movie because yes. i think isolation and loneliness like you were saying are definite big themes yes so i think that this looks like it could be you were saying in the pre-episode like it could have been our apartment complex Yes, that we just we moved out of yeah. um, these like three story kind of condo buildings that, yeah, it uh, it looked really cool. It looked very familiar. It looked very wintry. And um, all of those things did a really good job of kind of setting a mood before you even knew what was going on in the movie. Yes. Yeah. And it looks exactly like the um, Oslo suburbs where I went to school. The dorms for the University of Oslo, they're in, out in the suburbs and they were built in the 50s, which I assume these ones were. So yeah. They look very similar. So was there anything in this movie that you did not like? Is there anything that you can identify that stops you from saying you love it? How alike all the adults looked. <laughs> that was hard. And you actually did explain it to me in the beginning of like who was who when they we're all sitting in that pub yes. or diner or whatever it was. Because honestly, I was having trouble who was a dad and who was like a neighbor and who was like... Because the... there's that one character who's kind of like a bit of a drunk. And is that Laka? I forget his name. <laughs> but then there is the uh, kind of caretaker character, yeah. Hawken, who looks kind of similar. Yeah. And even if they don't look alike, I think what a lot of it is, is they all look average yeah if you're watching a hollywood movie everyone's pretty remarkable looking so even if like i contend that 90 percent of the famous chrises look very similar and if you were <laughs> to describe them they look yeah they, it's the same description mostly really tall blonde handsome men but they are all quite remarkable looking so it's easier to differentiate perhaps mm-hmm. although i still get them mixed up <laughs> yeah i know you do um yeah so that was kind of confusing but you're right they do look very similar and i think that um and we'll talk about kind of how this is from a child's view later um adults do kind of all look the same to children yes yeah so I think that, that could be something that maybe they try to do of just like they're just big people who are around. So 
I found that a little confusing. I was confused because I, for some reason, and I don't know where I got this idea, but that uh, it was like a vampire outbreak and not just like one vampire. Okay. So I don't know. So you thought that going into the movie. I thought that going into the movie. So I thought that there would be like more. Right. So then there wasn't. Yeah. And then I was like kind of confused, but also just like watching the movie because that was what we were doing. So Well, I think it could very well be from this kind of idea that's just in our culture at the time. And to take that into a a vampire movie makes sense. And also the cover of the Blu-ray I have is kind of someone at the window. So it kind of seems like there there could be many people like that. And we have that. We were talking about zombies last episode as well. So that I could see where that comes from. But then you kind of get the opposite. You get a very quiet movie about one like 12-year-old vampire. Who isn't like particularly dangerous. She has dangerous moments, but it's not like she's like one of those like Hollywood crazed kind of like I'm biting everyone I can get my hands on and I'm making everyone into vampires. And like she's relatively quiet and kind of unassuming. Have you read any Scandinavian literature? Because in the last, let's say, I don't know, 15 years or so, Mm -hmm. a lot of these Scandinavian novels got very big and got turned into Hollywood movies. And they all tend to have a lot of similar features. So I don't, I want to be careful that we don't let any one film speak for a culture because I hate when people do that. They're like, oh, I saw this in a movie. So that's what this place is like. Yeah. But there was a lot of books and movies around this time that depicts Scandinavia, usually Sweden, some of them are Norwegian, mm-hmm. as a um, like idyllic, quaint place and quiet. But then there's always something under the surface that is kind of rotten to its core, or mm-hmm. there's corruption in the police service, or it's always like underlying themes. And I wonder if that is because when I my time over there, I would say like their underlying issues is the uh, white supremacism and uh, racism that they don't like to talk about. Right? So like, yeah, we're, we're all just cool not going to acknowledge here. it. Yeah, which is you know the best thing to do with white supremacy. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what we do here mm. too. So, and I think we'll talk about that kind of stuff when we talk about the idea of an outsider and people who are not welcome in like polite society. So, have you had a chance to read any of those like? Joe Nesba and those types of ones. I don't think so. I know they are very popular. I work at a library and I, they just fly off the shelf. Oh. And also I was saying that I did just finish this novel before we watched it. My mm-hmm. first time reading the novel. So I'll mention a few things from the book here and there. So uh, spoilers for that. But I guess we're like, you know, it's, we're, talking about the movie. I feel like we're going to spoil it. This yeah. is a spoiler zone. Welcome to the spoiler zone. All right, well, let's go back onto the look of the movie. It's very dark in mm-hmm. all ways. The only light you get for the most part is the snow. And even then, it doesn't seem particularly bright, like on sunny days here in the winter. Yeah. Everything's kind of a bluish gray palette. And then the little bits of red we get are always with the violence. And even then, it's quite dark blood. Yeah. It's not like a super bright red. Yeah, you don't get those like stark... Hollywood reds, I guess, for blood. Mm -hmm. Or realistic, because blood is, every time you see a lot of blood, it looks fake. Yeah. It's too red. It's too red. And then, yeah, it's true. Red, like, blood is 
kind of an unnatural color. Yes, and especially when it's on snow or ice. Yes. That sounds terrible that I know that, but no, but everyone's like I grew up in Edmonton. Got a bloody nose in the snow. Yeah. (laughs) So did you feel like the look of the movie kind of adds to those? the feeling of it for sure yeah i think like i said the snow is very reminiscent of like isolation and quiet and like doom yeah so i think that that really helps because there's like snow in most of the movie yeah there isn't a lot of interior stuff when you look at it there's like a few school things there's a few things inside the apartments but everything either kind of like begins or ends in the snow. There's also a lot of walls and windows, mm-hmm. which, of course, they talk through the wall with their Morse code. Yeah. But Oscar is almost always shot through a window when he is alone. Hmm. And I think it's intentional to like further show how isolated he is. Right. Or maybe that's supposed to be like a vampire vision, like at the window looking in. Maybe. Waiting to get in because that's a big theme too. She's watching him. And she just wants in. Yeah. So other than it being dark, what did you think of the violence in this movie? Um, I didn't find it particularly like gory or like hard to watch. No, because they hardly show anything. Mm-hmm. Actually, uh, pretty much every kill is either covered or from very far away. So you don't actually see any like gruesome things for the most no, part. No, you see um, kind of like blood on her face or hands or whatever. Um, and then like blood in the snow and then that's kind of it. You see her attack sometimes. Yeah. It's like this movie doesn't celebrate violence. It doesn't try to, um, like make it fun or glamorous Glamorous, like a lot of horror movies will, but it also doesn't shy away from it. Mm -hmm. It's not like we're not going to show you this because we want to protect you. It's just, it gives you a very, um, like journalistic view of it. It could be news footage for when the kills actually happen. Yeah. The camera seems to be much less dynamic and it's just showing you what happens yeah. with very little cutting to uh, to accentuate anything. Mm-hmm. So you'd mentioned that a lot of the characters kind of blended in together, but there were actually only the two, I think, that you had issue distinguishing with. And they only are kind of together in one, one scene at the beginning. Yeah. But what did you think about the introduction of these characters who in a lot of ways you normally wouldn't get to hear anything from just like a guy and his cat loving friend because you don't really get like a huge amount of backstory on who these people are it was a little i paid a little bit less attention to them i guess just because you don't get a huge backstory you don't get to know these people before the story starts so i didn't really pay a lot of attention to them the movie spends like a good amount of time on these largely forgettable people and i don't want to say forgettable performances but i think they're meant to be just kind of anyone and i don't mean that as a slight on the on the actors i think it's done intentionally that they're fleshing out this world and it's kind of contributing to um to the depth Mm -hmm. of the world that they're making it gives us a little bit of insight to, into them. Like you were saying, it doesn't give you a big backstory. But I think we are on the journey with them. We um, can relate to them emotionally because you see people lose their friends. And the movie takes time to to explore this and have these mm-hmm. characters talk about what they're feeling and trying to kind of solve a mystery. It's not really quite a taken from, to, from a mystery point of view, but to them... 
these killings are impactful. Right. Did you find that as all, at all? Um, I wasn't super, like I said, I wasn't super focused on them. I didn't, I don't know, maybe I missed a big part of the movie. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. I feel like my brain isn't with it today, but. <laughs> no, it's forgivable. We're both uh, quite. Brain fogged. Yes. Which is a symptom of COVID. If there's anything I do a lot of, it's just talk for minutes on end about movies on this podcast but i'm having a lot of trouble doing it today and i'm having a really hard time like following your train of thought so if this (laughs) well it might be me not making any sense so i'll just say what i'm trying to say okay you go (laughs) because i don't know that i have anything i think they give us enough insight into these people that we care for them in another movie we wouldn't learn about the non-main characters Mm -hmm. we wouldn't learn about a victim's friend, for instance. Right. This movie does. It's not one of those movies where you can like cheer when people are killed. Like if you're watching your uh, Friday the Thirteenth, right? You're in it for the kills. You want to see like, oh, how's this one going to yeah. happen? Oh, it happened! Yay! Yeah. And it, it's fun. This is doing its best to not let you get into that territory. It's making sure that you know the impact that these deaths are having, mm-hmm. even if it's, and these people are kind of portrayed as like, you know, not being like big family people. They're not important business people. The one guy's just kind of like a guy who drinks at, I think, a Chinese uh, restaurant. Yeah, I couldn't figure day. out what that restaurant was, but yeah. Usually someone in this station of life would not be a big part of any movie let alone a horror movie that's usually only in it for for the kills. So I think by getting us to kind of relate to them or mm-hmm. trying to understand them, that is put against our inability to also hate the villain. Mm-hmm. Because the villain would kind of be Ely. Yeah. But in the movies where we're identifying with potential victims we want to be scared of the killer we want to hate the killer yes this movie is kind of creating this um like like a moral gray zone because we're being forced to sympathize with everyone in this film and and conversely we're also forced to relate to this uh like timeless killer right because one of the first times we see her kill someone she cries afterwards yeah. So that's going to invoke some emotion into yeah. some sympathy. So you, the viewer, are kind of like Oscar. You're kind of caught in between. Like, yeah. yes, he's against the killing, but also he's clearly in love with her. Oh. Or them. They. It's tough. Maybe we should talk about that, too. But I just like how it uh, takes us beyond what the normal comfort zone of horror movies mm-hmm. are. Because even if there's a movie where you're watching lots of people get killed and it's disturbing on that level, there's a certain predictability and a certain detachment Right. most often in those movies. Mm-hmm. And this does not provide that benefit of mm-hmm. detachment. It's making you feel for the murderers as much as it is the people being murdered. Right. I do want to ask you your opinions on a few things before we... Uh, continue in our discussion. Okay. It is gender. Do you have any thoughts there? I feel like... I feel like she was a little girl and now maybe Ely's been a vampire for so long that she kind of feels like she's lost that. Like She's, she's no longer human, so how could so she be she's a girl? like, how could I be a gender? Yeah, so maybe that's why... Because she does say, like, I'm... I'm not a girl. I'm not a girl. Yes. 
or like what if i wasn't a girl mm-hmm. would that be okay yeah. so i think that yeah she or they either one um maybe has been a vampire for so long and i feel like maybe Ely has been a vampire for a long time because she has this caretaker the um hoken hoken and uh so maybe she's just already worked out the system right like she knows she's gonna be this little girl forever well i want to touch back on that in a moment but let's go back one further sentence do you remember the scene where she gets out of the shower and oscar sees them um yes and you get a shot of eli's like crotch yeah it's not like human well, there's a giant scar yeah. where a penis would be. Yeah. Yeah. Ile is a, a castrated boy. Oh. Was. Oh. And now is something else. Interesting. I didn't catch that when we watched it, but. The first time I saw the movie, I was like, wait, is that what happened? Because that was my first thought. I was like, that looks like someone who had a, a male who had their genitals cut off. Right. And I was like, that can't be right. But I, the first time I watched it, I felt like the shot was a half second. Mm-hmm. This time I was ready for it. And I was like, well, this is a long shot. Yeah. I could sit and look at it. And I was like, ooh, yeah, that's that's what it is. Oh. And I did read the novel. I know that the movie should stand on its own. But the novel does explicitly say that that is the case. Oh, okay. That Ile was short for Ileish and was uh, a boy. And then... When turned into a vampire, was was castrated, and then has but has no need for that anymore, anyways, because uh, they are a vampire, right? So they don't urinate or anything, right? Or procreate or eat. Interesting. Well, that's something that I feel like the movie should talk about. I wonder because I kind of feel like just them saying I'm not a girl, it doesn't really matter the the backstory. Yeah. To Ile, they are not a girl. Yeah. And that's all that really matters. But like, why include that shot then? Because that's such a clear mm, callback to the book. Yeah. And it just makes it confusing. It's like, Or maybe it, it clarifies, but it doesn't lay it out as explicitly. It's like, okay, fine. You want to question it? Here you go. There's your answer if you're... But not enough of an answer. No. Like, it why not like just leave it? Because then I'm not a girl can mean many things. True. Yeah, you know what? That's true. I and like, do I came agree. up with my own answer, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and you have an answer, but like, if you're not going to include it in the movie properly or like the way that it was in the book, right? Why that? include that shot and like, why even open up that question? Very true. Like, why not just let viewers like me just make up their mind? Then there's another question I have for you. Maybe let's ask two more questions. We don't need answers now because we're going to double back to them. Okay. But I want to know your takes before we get into them. You were saying that Hawken is kind of Elay's handler and has been for some time. What do you think is going on there? Um, I don't know. I couldn't really figure out what that was. But it seems like he's her, her like designated adult. Yes. Because you can't be a little kid in the world without like an adult sometimes. I kind of like that most of the issues this movie deals with are the really mundane parts of being a vampire that no one would want to see in a movie. Yeah. Like, what do you do if you're a little kid? 
I actually wrote this movie. It was going to be a mockumentary called Interviews with Some Vampires. <laughs> and it was going to be like uh, mostly a comedy. And it was going to take place in Edmonton. And the premise was like, oh, Edmonton has a very large vampire community because of its long winter nights. And uh-huh. there's not as much sun in the winter right. time. So it's a great place for vampires to visit in the winter. And one of the characters was this 13-year-old girl who is like complaining how she can't get into a bar or anything. And it was like a funnier version. Right. And then this movie came out and I was like, oh, they did a better job of that. And then um, What We Do in the Shadows came out and it was like, well, they did a better job of the whole movie, so I don't need to make this anymore. But I like that this movie kind of deals with that minutia. Mm-hmm. So do you think Hawken and Ile have been together for a long time? Yes, I think so. So another thing not really mentioned is, do you think there's any sort of romantic stuff going on between the two of them? No. What about between Ile and Oscar? Do you think there's love there? I think he feels something for her in that like childlike crush sort of way. I think she maybe is for the first time realizing that she could like actually feel something for someone. Or do you think perhaps now that Hawken is dead, she's just looking for a new person to take his place and is manipulating Oscar into being the new caretaker? You read the book, I didn't. Well, the, the, <laughs> that, that is not in the... Okay. That is not answered in either. Yeah, I don't I don't know. I kind of just thought that Hawken was someone that like she was, I don't know, built up a relationship with before like revealing herself perhaps he wanted to be around her a lot because he's a pedophile Mm. it does mention that all the killings have so far have been teenage boys oh interesting and he does watch outside of a window with all those shirtless boys oh yeah that's right that was creepy yeah we'll double back to those things well let's talk about some of the other adult characters kind of just in general you know what movie that we talked about recently that the treatment of adults here most resembles to me? What? Uh, Peanuts and Charlie Brown. Oh, yeah. Because in all of the Peanuts stuff, the adults are literally faceless. And in here, they may as well be. Uh-huh. Because everyone just kind of turns a blind eye to Oscar's life. And the movie is told through his point of view yeah. more than anyone's, right? So all the adults in here are just so disinterested in everything that's going on and that just kind of uh further reinforces mm-hmm. the uh, the isolation that he must be feeling yeah for sure like everyone just believes that like oh i fell on a rock yeah which is a thing people do and like no one actually checks on him and like you were saying a lot of them kind of blend into each other let's talk about his father a little bit because that one's treated a little specially because he has to go to see his father it's mm-hmm. some somewhere else there's the scene where he like smells his father's sweater or when his father has that that visitor come over he gets really jealous that his his dad's giving his attention to someone else Mm -hmm. this might be another one of those things uh did you read anything into the visitor not really they spend an unusually long time on the fact that he's wearing sandals yeah and it's really cold out I didn't really know what to make of that. I think it means that this guy is staying and stays a lot. I kind of assumed that that was his father's lover. Oh. Yeah, I didn't really get anything from that. It was just such a weird shot to just show him in his socks and sandals for that long. I was like, this has to mean something. Mm -hmm. And then there's the kind of gym teacher who's very easily distracted to 
to like all of what could have been Oscar's murder, right? Yeah, exactly. What are some vampire rules that you know? No sun. Mm-hmm. Garlic. Garlic. You have to drink blood to stay alive. Right. Crosses. Crosses. Holy water. Yeah. Fangs. Steaks. Wooden steaks, not... not. Well, they probably like other steaks, too, if they're really rare. If they're just not cooked, yeah. yeah. That's also one thing that, like, when people become vampires, sometimes they'll just, like, eat raw meat because they don't understand, like, what the actual, like, urge right. that's happening is. So then they'll they'll go to the fridge or whatever because they feel, like, the hunger, yeah. as it's often referred to as. And then... The closest thing that they can get to, like, satiate themselves is, like, raw ground beef or yes. something. So you'll see that. Uh, that's called a Renfield syndrome. Do you know about Renfield? No. Renfield is from the original Dracula novel, and he is Dracula's Dracula's familiar, meaning someone who, like, does his bidding. Right. Um, Hawken is a Renfield. Oh. He's in servitude. There's that episode of Buffy where Xander becomes a Renfield. When Dracula comes to town? Very good episode. Oh, interesting. So this idea of a vampire having a human helper is pretty established already in vampire lore. There's also the idea that they don't have reflections. And now that I say that, I realize that at the beginning of this movie, Oscar is alone in his room as he often is. And he's talking to his reflection. Right. Because that's all he has. But at least he has that. Eli doesn't even have that. Oh, yeah. See, I didn't really make that connection. But I'm, yeah, maybe they... I'm looking too much into it, but I think that's I think that's something. You go too far into a movie? <laughs> what? Hey, now. What? <laughs> and there's an obsession with puzzles. That's in older vampire stuff. It doesn't get used very much anymore, but really? it's in this one. Oh, see, I don't you... know that one. Yeah, in old vampire movies, it used to be a thing that you would like throw toothpicks or something on the ground and they have to count them it's like oh. a vampire compulsion or if there's a puzzle they have to do it interesting some stuff even has if there's a mirror they have to look at it not that they don't have a reflection but they're drawn to mirrors but, they just have to look yeah oh. so that's how you could uh get ward off vampires or protect yourselves you put mirrors on the outside and they'd be stuck looking at them or you put a bunch of stuff on the ground and they'd have to count them and, and give you a warning that the vampire is coming I did know that, like, mirrors are, like, because one of the things is that you get, like, really, really beautiful when you become a vampire. Oh, see, that's in all the ones that you love, all the romantic vampire ones, (laughs) in your interview with a vampire. Yeah. I think this came out the same year as the first Twilight. Really? Isn't that, like, an interesting counterpoint? Because it's the same idea. Both of these have a very old person who looks young kind of falling in love with someone who's actually of that age but in twilight oh, it's it like, did, yeah in twilight it, oh it's cool yeah in this one you're like oh there's something wrong here yeah which is the, the the proper reaction that is the correct response to a vampire yes have you seen any of the twilight movies I or read any of the books s- some of the first one okay i think it was shot well and i thought it was surprisingly terrible like, I thought it was going to be bad, but it was way worse than I expected. The books aren't much better. And then I was teaching high school at the time. So someone was reading. I was like, all right, I'm going to sit down and read it. So I read a, about a half hour's worth of it. And I right. thought it was just terribly written. Like, I guess I, I, I'm not even going to comment on the story because I don't know it that well. But the actual quality of writing I found very, very poor. Hmm. 
the books, the quality of writing is very, very poor. Um, and there's a lot of like vaguely Mormon stuff happening. Oh, because I the... hope you pick Twilight for your next movie. I'd love to talk about that, and it would be a very interesting counterpoint to this. But the piece of vampire lore that I want to talk about most is from the title of this movie and the idea that they have to be invited in. Mm-hmm. And I love that so much of vampire lore, there, it comes from actual real things. Yeah. So this one probably comes from 1376 when the Mongols uh, arrived at Kaffa and they had this blood disease. So they were like coughing up blood everywhere. And then they weren't allowed into the gates of the city. Right. So then they started throwing their uh, diseased bodies over the fortress walls. Mm-hmm. So that's probably where that part comes from. But the title comes from Morrissey, who uh, very talented, very vegetarian, but also pretty racist. So right. take what you want from that. And that song was called Let the Right One Slip In. And I think that's kind of one of the biggest themes of this movie because very literally it deals with that a few times because Ili has to be invited into the space. But the big theme about the movie is people who are outsiders and are then let into people's lives and the effect of letting someone into your life and what that can right. be. Because for better or worse, Oscar's life is completely changed by mm-hmm. the fact that he let Ili into his life. Yes. Yeah, it's really interesting. I was thinking on that and I was thinking about like, what does it mean? And like, I'm not a critical thinking kind of person right now because of my brain. But <laughs> but I think that the idea that you can't come in because you're not human is really interesting. And I think it's interesting the way that they did it. Um with Ely and saying, like, no, you have to tell me that I can come in. Say that I can come in when she's, like, panicked about her dad in the hospital. Or, um... Her Renfield. Her Renfield in the hospital. Her hosp- familiar. I was going to say Renoir. <laughs> um, in in the hospital, like, you have, to, you have to say, like, this exact thing to let me in. So, yeah, it's interesting. Um, because most of the time when she enters buildings, it's not to do something bad. She's usually going into, like, Oscar's room to just, like, hang out with him. Like, do kids stuff, right? Yeah, because she has not been uh, let in to most places. Yeah. They're both set up as as outsiders, of course. So Oscar is kind of portrayed as a potentially a serial killer in the making. Yeah. And he's always looking for sympathy from his parents, and it's not he's not finding it. He's clearly not popular in school. He's bullied very harshly, and he's set up as being an outsider. And I think one reading of the movie, I don't believe this because I think in movies, people say something that is uh, symbolic and they go, oh, therefore it is not real and only in that person's head, which is a weird way to, it can be symbolic (laughs) and real. Because like Ile is Oscar's ultimate fantasy, right? Mm -hmm. Somebody who is like him, an outsider of the same age, but has the power to take the revenge that he desperately wants. Yeah. But she is clearly also a real person in this movie, or a real vampire, at least. And that's set up, like I was saying at the beginning, when he's doing that squeal like a pig and he's fighting nobody, Mm -hmm. but he's talking to his reflection and it shows you how lonely that is. But then if you think about it, that Ely doesn't even have that, that reflection. 
And she's even further isolated because she's isolated from humanity, really, mm-hmm. right? And she literally needs to be invited in everywhere, just as Oscar needs somebody else to make that jump and uh, invite him into some sort of relationship, some sort of friendship, something like that. Mm-hmm. And the closest he gets is taking up that coach on the offer of the the weight training. Right. But there's not any real connection there. No. So I think this is probably the time where we get into that debate of whether Ely is actually uh, genuine in her feelings for Oscar or if she is manipulating him just for her own purposes. And I think every point can work either way, just depending on how you feel about her and how truthful she is. Mm -hmm. And again, I already defaulted to she because that's how Oscar... Refers to her. Yeah, and we're kind of seeing this all through through his eyes. I think that's okay. Okay. Right now. Because, yeah, we're, we're looking at this from Oscar's view. Right. And especially this relationship that we're talking about. Right. So eventually, Ile is open, able to like share the darkest secret about, yes, I'm a vampire, mm-hmm. here are the things. And you could say, like, oh, well, that is proof that she's being very open and honest, but also she would need to tell that if she wants him to work for her. And I think that comes about in that scene where she has that like egg puzzle thing that shatters into a bunch of pieces. Right, yeah. And that's her letting him into that whole world. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite scenes in the whole movie is where this title really comes to a head. And she enters Oscar's house without invitation because he's like, yeah, do it. What's going to happen? Yeah. And then she just starts to bleed everywhere. And... He goes and hugs her and says, you're you're invited in, you're invited in. And he feels so bad. And she is kind of at her weakest state. Or I guess she's, she's in that state a few times in this movie. On a side note, I love when they make her like kind of age. Yeah. When she hasn't eaten. She looks all dry and brittle and yeah. like her hair's messy. And her eyes go gray. Yeah. And she kind of smells bad apparently. Yeah. But in that scene... He asks her, like, what are you? And she says, I'm just like you. And he says, like, but no, we're not the same because you kill people. I wouldn't do that. Mm-hmm. And she says, well, you would if you could. You just don't have the opportunity to. And I do it because I have to. And one of my favorite lines is she says to him, be me a little. Huh. And I really like that. Just that's what both of them need. Both mm-hmm. of them need someone to be them a little. Right. Both of them need someone to see things from their point of view. Yeah. And they've never had it in their lives. And it's, I think, despite how uh, negative a take I have on most things, I think I have this innate positivity that I really want to believe that they're in love because there are these moments. And maybe it's not romantic love as we know it. Mm-hmm. Because she even says, like, well, I can't be all of those things. And he's fine with it. He just wants to be near her. And he's fine doing what they're currently doing. Right. And there are some scenes they have together where it just seems so, so very real. Mm-hmm. Especially if we are to believe Ely when she says that I'm still 12. I've just been 12 for a long time. Like, she doesn't have an adult's mind. She still has a 12-year-old's mind. Right. If we believe that then clearly they're, they have some sort of really strong bond, bond, yeah. love, companionship, something like yeah. that. But what if she has the brain of a adult, someone who's been around for like 200 years, and she's just saying that? It could very easily go either way. Very true. Vampires can be manipulative. And she's kind of just resigned 
to this life, mm-hmm. this life of being a perpetual 12 year old. So on the idea that she's manipulating him, you could say when she meets him, he's acting like someone who wants to kill people. Right. He's literally talking about killing people and stabbing a knife into yeah. a tree. That's her first introduction. So it kind of stands to reason that she'd be like, well, this is someone that I can work with. Mm -hmm. They're already at that point. I just need to give them a little push. Yeah. And she does. She encourages him to be violent. She says, like, you have to hit back and hit back hard. And she's proud of him when he does that. Mm -hmm. And she sees how lonely he is. And I think it's right after the scene where she kills Hawken. And when she, like, sucks his blood and drops him, it's just, like, like trash. It's like a gum wrapper. Yeah. She drops him from, from the window, and he has, like, the most uh, undignified death because he kind of bounces off that awning or something. Oh, yeah, that was awful. And she throws him away. Yeah. And I believe it's right after that that the next shot, she comes into Oscar's window and crawls into bed with him. Mm-hmm. It kind of seems like, well, I'm done with that one. I need to like go all in on this one. I could see where you're going with that. Yeah. But I truly don't want to believe that mm-hmm. because I did believe a lot of the scenes they had together. They seemed just so heartfelt, but maybe it's all on Oscar's end. It's kind of, it's hard to differentiate. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of another one of those, like, without reading the book. Because I didn't. But the book does not have a take on this either way. This part is presented as it is in the movie. Like, these things happen. Mm-hmm. We don't get any uh, insight into Ely. We only get insight into Oscar in the book. So we don't know what she's thinking. We just know these events happen as they do in the movie. Mm-hmm. So the only extra information is we know that Ely's older. She's not just, like, 30 or 40. She's probably, like, 100 or 200. Right. But that doesn't really change this. Yeah. And I think the movie does get into that a little bit because when she has all those treasures you kind of assume they're all from previous people Mm -hmm. right she has a bunch of super old stuff yeah did you like that kind of uh not final scene the second to last scene in the pool yeah there's that one really cool shot where oscar is underwater and being held there and you kind of just hear a struggle mm-hmm. and then in the background a separate head falls in i liked and that. and then the arm that's holding him gets cut off and falls in as well yeah that was i think it was very well done yeah i like that it was kind of in the style of not too much gore or like murder like visible murder you get to see a severed head and a severed hand, yes, but you don't see them being like ripped off or anything. No. So I I think that was like kind of a neat way to do it. And I think that Ely was trying to shelter him from that too, right? Like there's a reason she didn't pull him out of the water first and then attack them. Oh, that's true. I was kind of thinking like, because he is a child and he hasn't seen stuff like this. So maybe she's trying to, you know, keep him a little innocent. That makes sense. Also, when he comes up, this is like the single biggest smile we mm-hmm. get in the entire movie. Because he just seems thrilled. Because she, in his mind, was already gone. Mm-hmm. And he's looking at her going like, you came back for me. Like somebody loves me. Mm-hmm. And he's just so, so thrilled. I don't even think it's um, joy in relief. Like, hey, I didn't drown. I think it's it's more that She's there. somebody's there for me. Yeah. And he's never had anyone look out for him like this before. He's just been yeah. abandoned by, by all people in his mind. Yeah. Oh, that's so sad. Yeah. And then before we get into the very last scene and kind of wrap things up, 
did you feel like Hawkins was a, a paternal figure figure to her because no. you didn't feel like any sort of romantic stuff? No, you just kind of thought he was there. I felt like he was like a like just like a caretaker. But why? Why would he spend his life, risk his life to do this? I think you might have threatened him a little bit. Oh. I don't I didn't feel like they were romantically involved. I didn't feel like he had any kind of paternal bond to her. Mm-hmm. It felt more like he was obligated to do so because he was kind of just forced into it or whatever. But if he's forced into it under threat of violence, I don't think any violence that she's going to do is worse than him pouring acid on his face so he can't be recognized. And then at the end, he just gives his life to her anyway. Mm-hmm. He's like, well, I've done all I could do and gives his life and dies and gets thrown away like trash. So I don't know what threat of violence could be worse than those two things. I don't know. Maybe she has some kind of ability to compel him. A glamour. A glamour. Yeah. Some sort of like... Then do you think Oscar is glamoured? No, I don't think Oscar is glamoured right now. Because he seems jealous, Hawkins does. Because he has that line of like, promise me one thing, don't see that boy. I think he's just worried that she's going to eat Oscar. But she eats other people. Yeah, but Oscar's a child. (laughs) But he murders children. Yeah, but he's like little. I don't know. (laughs) I kind of felt like he is a pedophile and is trying wants to be close to Ely and she's not having it Mm. and she is very uh, like commanding of him she is clearly in control in that relationship right and because there's that time when she comes home and says like all right get out and makes him leave the room so she can go knock on the door right Mm -hmm. so he does whatever and he is kind of just at the end of his usefulness he's gotten old he's gotten sloppy and she makes note of like, what are you doing out there? You're you're fucking everything up for yeah. us. And it seems like he's been doing this for a while. Whether or not he was like Oscar and mm-hmm. they met when he was 12, maybe. But it seems to me like they met when he was older. Mm-hmm. And he's in it because he's like a, uh, a child's body that's not illegal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm down. I think that's where he's coming from. Ugh. Yeah. Gross. It is gross. It is gross. And he then, when he gives his life and, like, burns his face off first, he's he's resigned. He's like, well, I have nothing more to give her. Yeah. And he even says at one point, when he's going to go kill someone else, like, he says, this is all I can do. Mm-hmm. He has nothing else to offer her. So then in the last scene, we get Oscar on a train with a big giant box, which we assume Ely is inside. Yes. Of. What did you take away from that? Um- I don't know. It seemed kind of sweet and innocent from Oscar's point of view. Mm-hmm. And they're like off on an adventure. It does seem like that. Like it feels like she's rescued him and yeah. he's sort of rescued, rescued her. Each other, yeah. yeah. So maybe it's not quite as sweet based on some of the things that you took away from it. But, but I think that it if- feels like they're off on some kid like adventure. Sure, even if you believe the intentions of, of both of them, mm-hmm. that they both really genuinely care for each other, what happens next? Oscar's life is, is done. Mm-hmm. He's now spending his life caring for her. And how long can he do that for before he gets caught? Mm-hmm. Like Oscar's life is over at the end of this movie. And it's played, I can't remember the music, but it seems it's like a brighter scene. Than it is a brighter scene. 
And it seems like it's kind of uplifting. And you're like, oh, yeah, they've escaped. He's going to be happy with her. She's going to be happy with him. Why would we think that? Like in in 48 hours even, what are they going to do? Are they going to go get an apartment somewhere? Who's going to rent an apartment to a 12-year-old? Yeah. How is she going to feed? What is he going to do? Is he going to go enroll in school somewhere? He's a runaway child who is probably wanted in connection with all of these murders in a pool. Mm-hmm. Like their lives, are, his life is over. Yeah. He's on the run for the rest of his life unless he stops right there. But it doesn't look like he's going to. It's a lot darker of an ending than I think I first realized. So it seems like you're not convinced by my dark take, or at least you don't want to be, and I that's fine. I don't want fine. to be, no. <laughs> what, uh, let's wrap up on this movie. What are your final thoughts on Let the Right One In? I think it's a very interesting take on a very overdone kind of theme. Um, it's different. It's kind of fun. Um, <laughs> it's a, It's fun to see different, like, takes on stuff right like i've seen a lot of vampire movies and i've read a lot of vampire books so it's like it's it's kind of neat to see how another culture or like author will take the same kind of myths and make it feel and look very different yeah it kind of seems like if uh what's his name cedric diggory um what's the vampire's name oscar not oscar edward edward if Edward were actually in our world, yeah. this is a life you would actually live. Yeah. Right? It wouldn't be all sparkling and making out with high school girls <sighs> and playing really weird baseball. Isn't that in that movie? Yeah. Just that was the, the worst. We'll get there. Okay. <laughs> um, he, he would have to live this kind of life of always being on the run and living in gross places because you can't exist in the modern world mm-hmm. as a faceless murderer. You can only do that for so long. You can't do it for hundreds of years. No. Yeah, so I think it's worth seeing. Um, Like I said, I didn't, like, love, love it. But I enjoyed it, and I can appreciate it for what it is. And uh, I still love a vampire movie, so I I say, yeah, go watch it if you like vampire movies. So, Indy, you're still in love with this movie? Yeah. The one thing that was different than I remember, I remember looking a lot more polished. Mm Mm-hmm. It's a grimier movie. Than it is a grimier movie. Yeah. Because it is a, a low budget in the grand scheme of right. movies we talk about. It's quite low in the budget, but it still holds up. And it's, I think I took away different things this time. Like I really appreciated the juxtaposition of the horrific and the mundane mm-hmm. and the kind of blending of those two. Right. Which is not something we see very often. You don't get to see like the day-to-day workings of a serial killer that's not something people are typically interested in right and i like that it explores depression desperation isolation the cruelty of children which is a big part of this as well right and yeah like you i love a different take on something that i thought i was tired with because hmm. i kind of like i like buffy yeah I don't like a lot of vampire stuff. Mm. It's like Buffy and Nosferatu. A lot of it is kind of (laughs) junky. But this one I love. And now that I'm saying it, I realize it's just taking the characters from any of those other movies and putting them in our actual world dealing with actual problems. Mm -hmm. And that was a very obvious reinvention of the genre, but one that surprisingly hasn't existed. 
I guess uh, what we do in the shadows is the funny version of the same thing because it's vampires in our world. Right. And I can't recommend that enough as well. But now after our talk about the last part there, all I'm left with is debating if this is a movie that shows you that love can triumph even in the most impossible circumstances or if this is about how the lonely and desperate can easily be manipulated. Because it can go either way, looking at the exact same stuff. Mm-hmm. And I don't have a good answer. All I know is Oscar's life is going to be terrible. It's not going to get better. He'll now have one person, but yeah, at what cost? Did he let the right one in? I don't know. I don't think he did. Whoa. whoa. Yeah. Well, I think we'll end it there for our talk on let the right one in, because we are each becoming increasingly out of breath the more we talk. <laughs> But Samantha, who is our second sponsor of the evening? Our second sponsor of the episode is the Edmonton Community Foundation and the Well Endowed Podcast, hosted by Andrew, Paul, and Elizabeth Bonnick, produced by Lisa Pruden, explores the impact of passionate people who are working to make Edmonton a strong, vibrant city to live in. The Edmonton Community Foundation helps people create endowment funds, and the podcast tells the story of how those endowments intersect with the community. You can subscribe at thewellendowedpodcast.com and hear all about some of the inspiring things that they're doing. Awesome. So you can check them out wherever you are listening to us currently. And next week, we are going to be presenting a couple of spoiler-free reviews of things we've been into lately with our things of the week. And then Samantha will let us know what we're watching for the big watch the week after that. It's going to be mid to late 2000s. I'm still trying to figure out exactly what it's going to be. I hope it's Twilight. I'm really into that now. (laughs) That idea. Okay. (laughs) We'll see. Because I love vampire baseball. Um, well, you'll have to tune in next week with Indy and find out what we will be watching. Okay, we'll see you next week, everyone. Bye. Stay safe, everyone. (coughs) (coughs) Coughing break. (laughs) Brought to you by the Alberta Podcast (laughs) Network. (laughs)